0: Like Treason News, everyone, pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. I'm joined by Meredith. Oh, hello. Hello. So, I wanted to start off obviously talking about you recently had a trip to New York City. I sure did. (laughs) For a wedding, which I hear you had a lovely time.
1: Yes, it was fantastic. It turns out that, uh, When extremely stylish, very cool people decide to throw parties, they tend to be awesome and they all do it in Dumbo. (laughs) They all do it in Dumbo. We
0: were talking about how this was like the summer of weddings and they were all in Dumbo, but every last one is to have it. Beautiful backdrop, I get it, I totally get it. Um, so. while you were out here, you and I got to go on a little excursion. We planned like a very cute day where we were going to go to Koreatown and pick up some like makeup and cosmetic products because Koreatown is famous for the skincare. Koreatown, uh, Koreans in general have really, really amazing skincare that Americans like Just recently, for whatever reason, I think probably because of TikTok, we're like, did you know that Korean beauty products are the best in the world? And all the Americans were like, what? (laughs) Uh, So we decided we were going to go to Koreatown. And unfortunately, we did pick one of the past um, seven weekends in New York City where it was torrentially raining.
1: And yes, cold and rainy and really quite disgusting. We did our best. (laughs) We were total troopers. I'm very proud of us. Yes,
0: I'm glad we did it too. And it ended up being really fun. However, in the midst of this, we were probably at like our third or fourth store. And this is an important detail that I just realized because I was recounting this story to someone else. Because of newly passed laws in New York City that I agree with, Shops no longer give you plastic bags. They give you paper bags. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when it is torrentially raining, the paper bags um, disintegrate and it is a fucking mess. So the reason I think this is an important detail is I was like juggling several things (laughs) and trying to hold an umbrella. A purse I brought was too small for everything I had. So it was just, we were overwhelmed, flustered, um, and trying to keep track of everything. However, we got to the third or fourth store, and I realized not only did I not have my phone, I had, like, no memory of the last time I had my phone, which is the worst feeling. Because usually you can, like, narrow it down. Like, oh, I definitely had it when I was here. You know, I looked at
1: this thing or I had to get it out because of blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's, and I've had that feeling too, where it's like, where the fuck did it go? And (laughs) usually it means that I um, put it down somewhere to do something with the dog. And so I have to retrace my steps. Right, right. But yes, I understand this feeling. I'm sure everyone has had the experience of I'm in my apartment and somehow I feel like I have no idea what happened to it. Where is it?
0: But even that, I don't panic because I'm like, it's in my apartment. I'm just dumb and I put it down somewhere and I don't remember. This was horrifying because it was like, not only are we in Koreatown, not only is it pouring rain, I don't really remember the stores we've gone to in order to like retrace our steps to find it. And you and I locked eyes and like... (laughs) I've never so immediately and clearly understood because you were like hungover that, like, you were not
1: gonna help. (laughs) I was going, I was like, I have, I could remember the stores we had been to, but we, I don't,
0: how, oh. Honestly, the fact that you were hungover and you could remember the stores, I was impressed. I was like, you've already contributed because, like, I was sober and not hung over. And I could not remember. And you were like, I can at least help you retrace your steps. So like we start doing that and I'm immediately like, I don't think I put it down and like walked away from it. That just seemed like, I don't know, like I'd never done anything like that before. So I was like, ah, but you know, you have to retrace your steps. We go to all the stores. We can't find it anywhere. So I'm like, fuck. Now, here's where I'm a big old hypocrite because I think I've said on the store in the past that I don't understand people who share their location with their friends, like their phone's location to see, like, where you're located on GPS. Because I'm like, it's creepy. It's, like, surveillance state shit, yada, yada, yada. However, I recently started doing it with Charles because he is chronically late to everything. So instead of me, like, haranguing him, like what's your ETA? I can just like see where he is on a map.
1: Yeah. So, and so I at least I actually contributed more than you thought because I did suggest texting Charles.
0: You did. No, no. So yeah. you were MVP. <laughs> you remember the stores. You were like, let's text Charles and see just like if your phone is still in Koreatown, basically. So Charles looks on the map and he's like, it's still in Koreatown. So I'm like, what the fuck? Where is this thing? And then you also had this idea. You're like, I'm going to call your phone, which is like such a simple solution. But like in my pessimistic mind, I was like, nobody's going to answer it. But sure enough a man picks up the phone and I saw your face. You were just like, "Uh, I think you have my friend's phone. And he immediately starts speaking Spanish. Now here's where I want to shout out Duolingo because I think I should cut a commercial for them. Because <laughs> I've been doing Duolingo for like two years straight, still have my streak going. I'm unbelievable. I'm a fucking Duolingo machine. So you immediately hand me the phone. Like, okay, Duolingo, you'd like, you've like you been talking a big game. You've been learning Spanish for two years. This man is speaking Spanish. Find your phone. Which now, in retrospect, I think should be a level in Duolingo. Like, once you're in the advanced level, I think they should put you in scenarios where they're like, you've lost your phone in Koreatown. Find it, basically. And the only way you can find it is if you're speaking Spanish. Because I'm like, this was the most, like, real, practical use of a language that I've sort of abstractly (laughs) (laughs) learning for over two years. So long story short, uh, this sweet angel of a man had my phone and I just asked, where are you? And he said, I'm in this hotel. I don't know where this hotel is. I asked the kids at the shop we were in and they were like, oh, it's literally next door. So we were like, fantastic. So I say to him, we're going to meet you in the lobby. And he's like, okay. So Meredith and I go over there. First of all, We could talk about this now, now that we're not, like, in the thick of it anymore. That hotel was a nightmare.
1: Oh, my God. It was, like,
0: what was going on there? What was (laughs) happening? There were, like, a hundred tourists with their suitcases in the lobby, like, either getting ready to check out or check in. I was just, like, it was so chaotic. Even for Koreatown, it was, like, very, very chaotic. I also wanted to see how much those rooms are because I'm, like, yo, I hope you guys did not pay a lot for this experience. Um, so he, sure enough, he comes down, he's this like sweet older man and he gives me my phone and I go, where did you find it? And he goes, it was in the street. So what that means is at some point when Meredith and I were like going from store to store, I was like juggling all of this shit and I just fully dropped my phone and neither of us noticed, (laughs) which seems insane that that could have happened, but apparently it did, um, But, you know, thankfully, he got it back to me. I kept calling myself stupid. I was like, I just can't believe I did that. I've never done anything like that before.
1: And yet I think it's like these things happen. Like it is probably a hell of a lot more common than we. I don't know. When's the last time
0: you've seen a smartphone in the middle of the street? Like if you see that, you're like, oh, something terrible happened.
1: I guess that's true. In the middle of the street, certainly, I guess, like, everybody can relate to losing their phone. And I think there was a time when it was very obviously just that was the end. You were like, well, fuck, I got to get a new phone. But it has – things have changed and technology has developed in such a way that people are – I don't know. I've gotten – like, I left mine in a cab last fall or last summer and this guy – Literally, like this cab driver literally drove it out to me in Brooklyn. So I was like, okay, we can probably get it back as long as it's still on. And then thankfully this guy was like, okay, of course I can help you. But. <sighs> yeah.
0: And like, and I was explaining this to someone where I'm like, in theory, like phones are useless because especially my phone is locked. So yeah. it's not like, and he also, he's a tourist. So it's not like he's going to steal a phone, you know, like. I was just so thankful that he thought to, like, pick it up and keep it safe, you know? Um, yeah. Also, I, in hindsight, I had missed one call while we were looking for it, which was from my mom. So this man found a phone in the middle of the street with a missed call from mom. So he might have been like, especially if he's a dad, he might have been like, oh, no. <laughs> oh. Like, what happened? You know, like, it couldn't look, like, sadder,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yes, on a rainy Sunday afternoon. Exactly. He's like,
0: oh, God, what happened? Yeah. And then uh, he met the two dumbest women in the world. Not you. I shouldn't attach you to my stupidity, but he met the dumbest woman in the world and was like, ah,
1: yes. I think in this case, it's okay to add me in there because even if it wasn't my specific dumbness, I was (laughs) not operating at top form.
0: (laughs) The fact that neither of us noticed, I was like, oh, my God, like two train wrecks. Anyway, since I got my phone back, it, it felt like a present, even though it was just... It was girl math, you know? I'm like, I got my phone back, therefore I got a free phone, you
1: know? Um, and then we went out to a lovely lunch, and it was super fun. I know. Walking into a random place with curry noodles and curry rice. Oh, it was so, so delicious. Good.
0: I love Koreatown. It's always a good time. I... Previously, had only ever done like improv and gone to karaoke in Koreatown, and now with a new appreciation for skincare, I'm like, oh, this is so fun.
1: <laughs> it was definitely a fantastic time and well worth getting out into the rain, the rain on a gross day. I think we just it was it was what we needed in life that day, and uh, and yeah, we got the experience of actually surviving. What could have been a really panicky <laughs> disaster time?
0: Yeah. Uh, so, shout out to that man. I never got his name, but uh,
1: what? Watch a, me do what something an similar uh, to this disaster when we go to Scotland and oh, please, have it go. <laughs> don't.
0: Although you know what we should do, and you're going to get mad at me. We should share locations with each other
1: oh fine although that's probably a good idea
0: I got so mad and then I started doing it with Charles and I'm like oh fuck I see why you do this
1: yeah I think I just find it I it's not necessarily with friends that bothers me it's when partners do it so that I would that's when it creeps me out yeah I find that really
0: intrusive and I just don't think there's a way to do it without it being creepy and like surveillance stuff but I don't know, with people I trust, it's like, I truly only check it when I'm like, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like waiting somewhere. Or like, at the end of the night, and if somebody is like, you know, uh, kind of three sheets to the wind, and they're going home to be able to see like, did they get home? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's helpful as well. Um, so yeah, I wanted to start by talking about, you know, obviously, the SAG strike is still ongoing. Um The AMPTP uh, devoted an entire hour of their time, if you can even believe it, that they were so gracious enough to take an hour of their time to respond six days later to SAG's last counterproposal. A whole hour, Allison. Can you believe it? (laughs) Like, we should be so grateful, right? Um, And are trying to strong arm the union as they tried to strong arm the WGA by saying this is our... Last, final, best deal will walk away from the table. And it's like, oh, really? Have you figured out how to make TV and movies without actors? That's interesting. But you're going to walk away if they don't respond positively to this? Okay, guys. Um, like, same old tired tactics again. And they're saying, like, if you don't do it this time, we're we're walking away. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, SAG has said, please don't listen to any of the trades, how they're reporting this, because they're just parroting what the producers are saying, which is last, best, final, which is bullshit, but they—they're right. trying it. to
1: scare people who are not part of the actual negotiations into, um, a, you know, deciding to start pressuring the negotiating committee to accept sh- bullshit because, you know, I mean, it's it's a bluff that's that relies on fear from the people who are suffering because they haven't worked in months.
0: Fear and also they're just trying to turn people against the union. And I I have started to see comments from people that are like, please take it. This has gone on way too long. And also from people within the industry who are like, I can't pay my rent. Please take the deal. Like It is fear-based, but it's also frustration at this point because it's yeah. been going, but that's not the union's fault, obviously.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it in and it's, but it's also like, it's so indicative of what, um, you know, why these tactics work and why some elements of them are really time honored in terms of this. It's like starving, starving people is what bosses are always trying to do. Yeah. So, Effective. Um, and like, get fucked guys. Like, these people want to work. They just want you to not steal their images. and Yeah, and
0: it's so much bigger than them, and they know that, where they're like, if we cave on AI, we've doomed actors forever, basically. Where they're like, if we cave now, it will set a standard where you know, not that you can make really a living as an extra right now, but it will get so much worse if they can just scan people and use their image forever in any product or going forward, you know, where it's like, that would be catastrophic.
1: Absolute disaster.
0: Unless you're an A-list actor, you would not be able to survive, which is crazy because we don't have a lot of A-list actors. Um, But- I wanted to talk about some good news in terms of organized labor with uh, GM reaching a tentative deal with the UAW.
1: Which is fantastic news. I Everything I've seen seems that people are pretty happy about it. Is that Does that square yeah. with what you've been hearing?
0: Yeah, it seems uh, really, really good, especially we had talked about on a previous episode the cost of living adjustment, which was huge, that they... Uh, You know, the UAW gave up during the financial meltdown in the pandemic because they were like, they were told basically if they didn't give up COLA that the economy would go into a tailspin and never recover. So they were like, okay, as long as we have an agreement that eventually we'll get COLA back. Now, should the union have trusted (laughs) the auto industry to keep that promise? Probably not, but it was done. So they got that back, which is huge.
1: Yeah. And, you know, during the course of these negotiations, we also saw um, electric vehicle factories being added to the uh, getting to be added to the union. So this is also going, you know, this could we could actually see an expansion of labor rights in a pretty significant way, which I think would be really amazing.
0: And remember, we had talked about on a previous episode where I was sort of starting to wonder if the studio heads were like paying attention to the UAW stuff. And if they, if they were picking up on what workers were putting down, which is this sort of across industry solidarity. Yeah. And I have started to see a confirmation like that. They very much are aware of the organized labor aspect of this and they are fucking freaking out,
1: which As is wonderful. They should be. I it's know. Wonderful. Let's just stay scared guys. Always keep them
0: scared. Anytime they're like, we're going to walk away right now, say, okay, uh, bye. How are you going to make everything? Guys, how's this going to happen? They're fucking lying. Call that bluff every single time. If you make cars and they're like, we're going to fire you. Listen, they might. They might bring in scabs. But how many times can they do this and not like
1: hemorrhage money? To a certain extent, any industry, that is bullshit. And, you know, something else – one thing I was kind of hoping we could talk about is that is something I'm still really unclear about as far as the benefits go. Um, some of the new interim agreements that are allowing for promotion for films that are coming out yes, are baffling to me because yeah. obviously in an, the, the agreements mean the studio, whoever is making the agreement says they will abide by whatever terms the union ultimately negotiates uh and is is asking for but at first it was very much films that were it was supposed to help independent films that was the selling point when this these agreements started happening in the summertime but now we're seeing them happen for i believe you said the new hunger games movie
0: yeah and i'm kind of i go back and forth on this where i do think it weakens overall solidarity if you keep making exceptions like this however they get these exceptions because the studios are able to meet all of the requirements that SAG-AFTRA is asking of them which is great and it kind of bolsters the viewpoint of the union which is if this studio can do it why can't every studio do it so I go back and forth because I do think on an optics level it's not great, right? Like, imagine if we had the cast of The Hunger Games on the picket lines instead of promoting this movie. Right. But it is good to have an example to be able to hold up and say, they met they met the requirements of what we were asking for, so why can't y'all do it too?
1: Yeah. I guess it's also the case that it, it connects to... Um what some people have talked about where it's like, okay, well the AMPTP is these people, but there are a million little production companies, yes. you know, so there's all what you're actually working with. If you're trying to get something made is not like you're only dealing with an executive at Warner brothers. It's like, right, you know, a th- it's like 14 different production companies that are doing things. So it also exposes the really fractured nature and shows you how the whole system is really broken. Yeah. Um, but it's still, like, I guess, mostly because I just have n- negative, like, interest in, in this particular <laughs> film. I'm like, Damn, yeah. what? Like, huh? <laughs> I couldn't
0: care less. Yeah. I, it's complicated to, as you mentioned, like, a really bad thing about like the WGA deal and probably ultimately what's going to be the SAG deal too is all of these little production companies under the big studios have nothing to do with these agreements. And that's where the majority of the work happens. So these deals are imperfect because they don't really reflect how fractured the industry is. Um, So, you know, that is obviously a negative uh, side of it. Also, the contracts are so complicated. Yeah. Um, like, for example, Saturday Night Live, a lot of people are confused about, like, what constitutes scabbing and what is not scabbing. And sometimes it's like, I mean, Google and take two minutes to read something, folks. And sometimes I understand the confusion because it is complicated. Like, no one on SNL is scabbing. As long as Like, for example, Timothy Chalamet is going to be on with Boy Genius next weekend. As long as he doesn't promote Wonka or Dune, he's good. And a lot of people are like, yeah, but he's going to be on the show, so won't people just associate it with him promoting? And it's kind of like, they might, but that's not scabbing.
1: Right. And that's like, being in public, like, that's why these agreements exist. And... That's why people have been so that's why there's a whole helpline for does this thing yeah exactly. end up you know, does this end up scabbing It's why as as much as people made fun of it, the union put out instructions for celebrities about Halloween costumes.
0: I know I do feel like
1: <laughs> like that was cringe, but also like if you're gonna like sometimes actually being you know, sometimes doing labor practice, like labor actions does require being cringe, you know?
0: (laughs) I understand that. I just felt like you have asked a lot of this, these actors, and I'm not even talking about like the A-listers, like um, Megan Fox with that shitty post where she was like uh, a character from Kill Bill and then she tagged SAG after. And that was like, all right, bitch. Although the funniest comment I saw about that was, a fan of hers trying to defend her, where they're like, "In fairness, she's not really an actress anymore." <laughs> Which I was like, "Oh my god, please tell me she saw that comment." Um, But like, you know, actors who are not Megan Fox level who are struggling. This has been like a horrifically hard year. To then be like, and by the way, you can't have fun on Halloween. Was a little like, guys. I mean, come on. Like, I understand why you're doing this, but it w- that was the one time I was a little like. Okay, like, do we really have to kick people when they're already down?
1: I know. Um, I know, and yeah, it's all of that's true. But I also am just like, okay, well, I guess there's there's a point at which I'm like, okay, the strike is actually working. If people are now in the like at the point where they're in the discussions where they're like, oh man, the unions are killing fun. Yeah, like. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's totally true. And also, it's not like a huge demand to not dress up as like a current IP character. Like Bradley Cooper went dressed as Rocket Raccoon, which I was like, dude, like why? Why do you need to do that? So it was kind of a cringe ask. But at the same time, I was like, they're not asking for the moon. They're just like, don't promote Barbie, you know? (laughs)
1: Yeah, right. Like literally like every single block in America had someone, adult or child, who did a Barbie costume this year. So does it hurt you that much?
0: (laughs) I wore, I, you know, I'm not union, but I had bought it so long ago. I was wearing a, I am Knuff hoodie. So like I did that, but I didn't like post pictures or anything with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so let's get into recommendations. I'm going to open with a rare music recommendation cuz I just feel like we almost never do that on this
1: show. It's true. And we do like music. We're not No, yeah, only, we We are not only visual people.
0: Exactly. Um guys, Blink-182's new album fucking slaps. It's awesome. It's called One More Time. Uh I I was a huge Blink fan when I was in high school, but you know, One grows, one's music tastes change over the years. And I was a little like, not, I, first of all, I wasn't aware they had a new album. Then by the time I was made aware of it, I was sort of like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this, you know? And then nostalgic or nostalgia got me. I listened to it. It fucking rips. It's so good. Travis Barker, my God, absolutely shot out of a cannon. Like, this man is going insane on the drums. And it's just a very sweet, sort of, like, earnest album about how much they love each other. And they almost lost each other because, you know, uh, Mark had cancer and uh, Travis almost died in a plane crash. And they were sort of like, hey, it's stupid that we've been fighting and we're family, and we should get back together and make music. And the album's just about how much they love each other. And it's great.
1: And I, I think that's wonderful. It's there's something nice about watching the annoying little <laughs> twerps yeah. re-like grow up and realize that actually um it's okay to be genuine and have feelings. And it's not that they didn't also have feelings before, it's just that when you Make the album Enema of the State. They're going to end up getting a little bit less attention than <laughs> your music yeah. videos. And like, but I, you know, but it's still- also kind of the. I was going to say it reminds me of when Jackass Forever came out. And I it's was like, oh, yeah, bring
0: up Jackass. <laughs> it's the exact same thing where I was telling Meredith when the latest Jackass came out. I was like, those are my friends. Like, those are my stupid friends. And that's how I feel about Blink, too. I'm like, that's the band I like of the stupid idiots who get together <laughs> and make like, you know, pop punk music. And I've just been listening to them forever. And they are those guys who you can make fun of. But if anybody else makes fun of, you're like, I'll fight you. You know, yeah, yeah. Th- that's and you're them. like, okay,
1: and yeah. and of course, recognizing that as people get older, it's accepting that you can still that we all have personas that match our younger selves, and those yes. don't have to go away completely, exactly. It, but it's also okay to bring sincerity in, um, and there's just yeah, it it ends up kind of feeling a little bit like how people are always like people who love rock music are get snobby about pop music. Like, once we all accept that we can just like things because they make us feel stuff, life gets better. (laughs) And it gets better when you're talking to your buddies.
0: Exactly, yeah. Uh, And I just... I'm really uh, thankful that they got to feel their feelings and are clearly like very unselfconscious about it. Travis wrote a song about how much he loves having sex with Courtney. And it's like, this is great. I'm like really so happy for you guys. <laughs> and like go with God and like he, they just love having sex so much. And I think that's great. Um, but yeah, highly recommended whether you were like a huge Blink fan or not. I think it's just like they're in their pocket so thoroughly and they're great at it, you know, like yeah. what, whether you think of the genre or not, you know, like whether you respect the genre or not. Um, Yeah, man, it just, it rips. So also wanted to recommend Anatomy of a Fall, which is going to be like a big, big uh Academy Award film, perhaps. Um, I did enjoy it. I thought it was very provocative. I no spoilers because it just came out, obviously. However, I did want to bring up the fact that, People, rightfully so, are talking about Sandra uh, Hewler, who, I think that's how you say her name. Um, She's wonderful, obviously. She's the central protagonist of the film, the wife who's been accused of killing her husband. But I wanted to shout out Milo uh, Grainer, who's the kid, her child in it. He's phenomenal. And I haven't really, like, seen people hyping him up as much. I'm not really sure why. It might be because that character is a little grating, but thought he was great also wanted to shout out swan arloud who's her uh french ex-boyfriend lawyer who is a fucking smoke show he's so hot and he's great obviously but i did want to just specifically um applaud his hotness
1: it, right. yes the hotness is <laughs> the most important part here now. This is <laughs> yeah. the, shout out to the hot french dude <laughs> oh, gotta yeah. do it at least In once every a year
0: review, yeah shout out to the hot french dude um I won't say anything more because it is a procedural it's a, a long film and I will say I felt the length in places um was very interesting to see a different country's court system and how they do things differently much more conversational uh less procedural that was interesting and yeah if you like true crime I feel like this is a healthy way to indulge in that interest without being, um, gross and predatory.
1: (laughs) Ooh, see, and I'm, I'm very excited for this because I do love a mystery and I've watched enough, um, well, I guess English and Australian crime movies that, uh, are crime TV shows where I see the court system. I'll be, it'll be interesting to see the, what happens in, in, in France
0: yes exactly uh you can even believe it the french system is a lot more
1: bitchy oh i'm shocked
0: (laughs) which i appreciated as a bitch uh and also guys i'm gonna anti-wreck five nights at freddy's it's not good um i'm glad that like young kids are interested in horror i understand that there's like a lot of nostalgia for this because it used to be a video game uh I, I'm not going to be like too hand wringy or pearl clutchy about it because I'm sort of hoping this will be an introduction to the world of horror to like, you know, 12, 13 year olds, and they'll eventually find good horror in their own time as, as we did, you know? Um, but this is not a good film. It's quite bad. Yeah. Didn't you also say it was boring? Let me tell you something. I am shocked by how boring it is. And that was another thing too, where I'm like, maybe that's part of it. It's sort of a gentle horror movie, um, but it's not even gentle. It's just dull. It's like the characters aren't interesting. Nothing really happens. Um, yeah. Boring and bad.
1: Uh, I am not, obviously have not watched it mostly because you told me that it sucked. Um but i've been really fascinated by how like so many young people
0: it made like, a lot of money a lot yeah, of money. yeah a
1: lot of money and that like it's these 14 15 year olds being like oh it's everything i wanted out of a movie and i'm like what is wrong with you children yeah
0: but i'm trying to like you had a much more refined taste in films at that age than I did. I also watched like garbage and I was really entertained by it. Cause I would go with my friends and it was like a big event. Um, so I'm a little like, this is okay. This is like, it's for you. It's not for me. I think it's a bad film, but if you had a good time with it, 14 year old, I'm not gonna, you know, shit on it. <laughs> Cause it's like, if you enjoyed it, you enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. but I can be, I'm okay with being the curmudgeon who just like doesn't engage.
0: Yeah. I'm sort of like, it's not for me. Like, it's okay. I didn't like it. It's not for me. It's for you guys. And I hope you take this experience and you're like, I really like that horror film. I would like to check out more horror films. And, you know, as you get older, your your taste gets better. And that was my story, you know? So I, I've seen some people be like, horror is dead. <laughs> like forgetting that we just had a couple of years of really, really good horror. Um, But, like, The Nun 2 sucked. Sucked. Five Five Nights at Freddy's sucked. Does that mean horror is dead? No. If anything, I'm sort of encouraged by the fact that these films make so much money. Because it's like, people want horror. You just gave them bad horror. But if you give them good horror, they'll also like that, you know?
1: Well, like, speaking of of other horror that, you know, are good horror, are we going to talk about um, When Evil Lurks?
0: Yeah, that's next on my list. (laughs) And I also want to talk about Hell House Origins.
1: Perfect. I think, I mean, those are, we of course watched every scary thing in the run-up to Halloween and immediately following. So
0: we stay on brand,
1: guys. You guys. Yo. When Evil Lurks is
0: intense.
1: Yeah, I was concerned. And I I don't know if if it's a film you've heard about. It's Argentinian. It's by... um, a director, the director of the movie Terrified, which was also pretty intense. But what the fuck is happening in Argentina? Because- Are you guys okay? <laughs> this movie, I had read that it was really intense. I had read that it was going to be Like very graphic. That was yeah. going to be a, a slog, like not a slog, like hard. It just, it was going to be a challenge. And I thought, okay, I'll I'll- arm myself i'll read the wikipedia summary and then go into the movie oh even knowing what was happening did not uh adequately prepare me for how upsetting that was
0: i i I really genuinely want to shout out uh demian rugna who's the director because there are a couple sequences that i don't want to spoil anything but something horrible happens and i was like i don't know how he shot that
1: yeah and there are a couple moments and and this is like the intensity is a moment where you're watching and you know something bad is going to happen and then it it, the bad thing happens and you're like dear lord Lord.
0: oh my god we were just like texting each other like ah (laughs) (laughs) i was like
1: no I was actually shrieking in yeah. shock and horror multiple times and I applaud him for that. but also I think one of the reasons it worked for me and and we didn't talk about this, but I'd be curious if you agree, is that it's very much of a kind of a piece with the our favorite possession movies of recent years where the evil exists, it is dangerous. It is present and accepted as something that is just in the world. Uh,
0: but it creates
1: such chaos and there's, I just thought that was such an inch. I thought it worked very, very well. So the, do you want to explain the actual sort of basics of the plot?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there is a very, very small village and there are two brothers who, uh, Find out that uh, a man, a neighbor of theirs, uh, has been basically like infected with a demon in like a horrific way. Like he is um, deformed, basically, and has like a lot of um, open sores, and it's it's very very graphic. And I just want to like stress that to people because it is like awful, <laughs> yeah, visually and basically um, what you are not supposed to do in this situation is kill the person because then the demon um, can explode out of them and infect somebody else.
1: And specifically not kill it with a gun.
0: Right. There are all these rules that I, that's my favorite part of movies like this. There are all of these, like the mythology of it, like what you can and cannot do. So yeah, you're not supposed to shoot them. Uh, So, you know, you know what happens, everybody, they fuck up. And that sort of, sets in motion a sequence of horrible events i wanted to address what you were saying about at like filmmakers who get what's scary about possession and evilness in general and i talked about this when we had seen uh talk to me too it's how like evil is disorienting and you don't know what's real and what's not real mm-hmm. and that to me is the most scary thing about like the quote-unquote the devil like what the devil does that how it can, and demons, invert reality and you can't trust any of your senses.
1: Yeah, that you can't trust any of your senses and that it doesn't, that possession doesn't have to be as extreme as you are suddenly a pus ridden, right? <laughs> you know, slug. It can simply get in your head and make you do something horrific.
0: Yeah. And you will have no memory of having done it is another scary thing of it. Um, but yeah, that it gets worse and worse. And as this film goes along, it's just like, I don't know how they're going to make this worse. And then they keep doing it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, my God. Um, but I will say if you are a fan of like graphic, very intense horror, it is excellent. It's really well done.
1: Yeah, if you're someone who has a lot of feelings about the movie Martyrs as, in terms of, like, <laughs> its willingness to go there, mm. uh, this is the film for you. Um, but it it's also – it's just significantly smarter and, I thought, like, carefully thought out than a lot of movies that use that level of extreme gore and, and yes. darkness and violence, which um, – it's this level of it, it hasn't imme- it creates immense dread and I thought that was just really fantastically done. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of shocked that I was able to watch it. Although I did have horrible nightmares that night. Did you? You know what's <laughs> I wild?
0: Oh, by the way, I've been having nightmares since I lost my phone. That I keep like losing my ID and stuff like every night. It's insane. Um, I had been warned by so many people that it was really graphic and really intense going into it i was like it no way is it going to live up to this hype and it like exceeded it <laughs> i was like <laughs> this is crazy um speaking of films that are smarter than their genre
1: let's talk about hell house yes another so this is god what's the name of the manor that they put it in anyway? the
0: carmichael manor
1: so uh, this is the fourth installment of the Hell House films, which have now, I guess, been taken over by Shudder in this, a similar way that they took over the VHS series, where they're now mm-hmm. putting them directly onto Shudder. Um, it's a prequel. not. It's not actually a prequel, I guess. It involves events that lead up to the Hell House movies, but it's its own story. Similar found footage documentary uh, about a true crime content creator and her partner and her brother going to this, this estate where a murder has happened uh, many years before and uh, things going very, very badly and then intersecting with the larger mythology like the greater mythology of the hell house series so many clowns so many clowns i hate those clowns like (laughs) so we were talking uh, about how
0: like uh both hell house and when evil lurks elevates you know the genre in a lot of ways uh my thing that i really love about what hell house does is they have their own kind of visual jump scare that I find to be a very smart jump scare. Cause usually I don't care for jump scares. I think they're very cheap. I think playing a loud noise is not the same thing as like genuinely terrifying someone. Um, Hell house, however has this really cool trick where they just like pan the camera. So they'll like frame something that looks like a mannequin and then pan away for a second and come back. And the mannequin has turned slightly. And it works every single time. And I do think it's in the family of jump scare, but it's a smart jump scare.
1: Um, yes. And I, I think the way I just, what I find about it is there's also just, they keep the camera, other jump scares are when they keep the camera forward, like pointing forward at something. And then something hap- like then something creepy happens, but the camera does it doesn't turn away and you just have to sit there with the creepy thing.
0: You're stuck. Like you're stuck in the moment. Yeah. It's, it's smart. It's really effective. And Um, go ahead.
1: Oh no, 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 go ahead.
0: Um, yeah. And I, I did like the characters in the, uh, the story, even though we were talking about how the filmmaker, you know, it's required in a film like this, that she has to make bad decision after bad decision. But even within those parameters, by the end of the film, I was like, bitch, really? (laughs) Really? Um, But I thought they did a decent enough, you know, job explaining why they had to stay in this location that I did buy it.
1: Yeah. And I think because all of these movies are descendants of the Blair Witch Project, and I have such vivid memories of seeing that in theater, in the theater on opening night yeah. um, and having my mind absolutely blown by how terrified I was. Um, I'm always going to be on board for at least giving this series a chance because I think they they have figured out what works and then continue to tweak it in small ways, which really pleases me. And those clowns. Are fucking terrifying. The clouds. I hate and them
0: so much. Anytime <laughs> I hear that song on the piano, it is terrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's they've they've got these little things. I'm like, okay, okay, cool. You're like tapping into my muscle memory here. And I just have to shout out to what is it, Stephen Cognetti? I think is his uh, the writer director's name. Right. Uh, like, good job, dude. Finding a couple of things. Figuring out how to make this stuff like actually creepy, and then you made the movie called, you titled the movie Hell House LLC. It's really, the, it's totally really funny. the funniest thing a human could ever do. And I do
0: love <laughs> that the origin of this story, I mean, as told by the LLC, is the sort of like you know capitalism trying to exploit tragedy, which is what true crime is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, true crime shows. I do love that about Hell House that it is ultimately about people being punished who are trying to exploit a tragedy. yeah <laughs> and you're kind of like you don't deserve it, but I'm not like heartbroken you you're going
1: you know? yeah I mean this is one of the few series where every every time, every movie there's a a journalist character and I'm like, you know what? I'm not <laughs> mad. You really, like, this, you should have killed this story. Like, yeah. sorry.
0: Um, I was going to say something else about the, oh, I do really love how, I don't think this is a spoiler, but the way Carmichael Manor opens is that there is an assumption that the dad of this family is a family annihilator, and he yes. has killed his entire family, which, that kind of true crime story to me is the scariest true crime, true crime story because usually what it means is, like, in our real world, the reason that men annihilate their entire families usually has to do with the fact that, like, they lost their job. Mm-hmm. And it has to deal with, like, male humiliation and how men can't express their emotions <laughs> in a healthy way. So instead of admitting to their family that they lost their job, they kill them.
1: Yeah. And especially since there's still such a hunger for stories like um, for more content related to Alec Murdoch, the South Carolina, the the horrible man in South Carolina and his horrible family um, that he murdered. Uh, Like seeing more of these stories, like we're still marinating in the desire for the backstory of these kinds of dudes right so which I should say
0: is is not what happened in uh Hell House Carmichael Manor so that's why I'm like it's not a spoiler but just even the idea of that having happened was very disturbing (laughs) and I thought really effectively done um the way that it's sort of this fusion of like documentary and then like you start you start to like piece together what actually happened based on the spirits that are still in this house, like where they were killed, what they look like when they were killed, you know, like how they looked in bed. And that's really effective, too.
1: Yeah. Um, so once again, like, and yes, this is on Shudder. Uh, excellent addition to their their collection. And if you haven't checked out the first three, the first one is easily the best. The second two get a little bogged down in some nonsense, but do also have some incredibly effective uh elements to them that just made them way creepier than a movie like a movie series that's completely found footage based or found footage and documentary like fake documentary based has any right to be at this point in time you know
0: agreed um so i'm also going to say that i recommend the holdovers however I thought I was going to be more enthusiastic about my recommendation. Uh, I don't know what it is about Alexander Payne. Um, I guess I have to like say about the writer too, David Hemmingson, but mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about sideways either. And people fucking loved sideways. So I'm like, listen, maybe he just like, isn't for me. And the holdovers might hit you way harder, but I found it to be a little, uh, hacky and cliche in places. I thought it would be way funnier. I didn't find it terribly funny. I think Paul Giamatti is wonderful because Paul Giamatti is always wonderful. Uh, Devine Joy Randolph is amazing in it. Um, Dominic Sessa. Actors are on point. Um, but I really, really wanted to like be affected by it and like it more. And I was just by the end of it, I was like, "That was good," you know, three stars. But I wouldn't
1: say like run out to see it. Hmm. Um. I have not seen it yet, but I see. I know what you're saying about Alexander Payne. I have loved some of his movies, but what's your very- favorite of his? Um. Hang on one second. Sorry I, to put I, you on I, point because I, I just, truly
0: think I've only seen Sideways.
1: Um, I might be able to. I'm pulling up his complete filmography so I can give. And you I the shouldn't best. say
0: like I didn't dislike Sideways. I was just I had it had been hyped up so much that I was sort of like, Oh my god, I'm gonna. Lo-. Did you like Nebraska Election? I loved.
1: I was going to say Citizen Ruth and Election are my two favorites, and tell- very tellingly, they are the ones that have female protagonists. Yeah, great point. That might be Um, the difference. So he's, you know, him when he made his movies in the 90s, which he made that had really complicated and unlikable but fascinating female leads in Laura Dern and Reese Witherspoon, loved them. But I got a lot cooler when he started making movies that centered male characters. And I know that that could, you know, Maybe it's a little bit of a failing, but I can still appreciate that the movies are well done. I just don't feel them. But the absolute sort of sharpness of those first two movies really like were like a gut punch that I enjoyed. And, you know, I thought The Descendants was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that one was, you know, kind of funny. And I thought Shailene Woodley was great. But like, yeah, I he's not... A top, he's not one of my top tier dude filmmakers.
0: And it felt like very, it felt dated and a lot. And like obviously, it's it's a you know like a retro piece. Like, and even the way it's filmed, it like looks like it was shot in the seventies. I don't mean in that sense. I mean like Paul Giamatti's character is he's a, a teacher at this very uh, prestigious private high school, and he's like training the future minds of of our society, and a lot of them come from very, very wealthy families. And he's sort of like the last hard-ass teacher who's like, I'm not going to pass you because your daddy's rich. And he is hated because of that. Um, But there's like this weird class war element to it that doesn't feel particularly groundbreaking in any way. They try to explore some racism with uh, Devine Randolph's character. She's a cook at the school and her son has been killed in Vietnam. Um, That feels very crowbarred in and cliche and I didn't think the writing was great and as I said there are a couple like bits that are supposed to be funny that I was like yo like this needed a second pass like because it's not funny and I really thought they were going for funny with this film because of the previews and the trailer of Paul Giamatti just looked like he was on 10 the whole time his character is actually very sad which I'm okay with but like the real funny comedic bits there is one very funny bit that happens, but I really wanted more of that throughout.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll be interested. I think this is one that I'm going to wait to see. Yeah. When it's on streaming. Listen, Um, I always support
0: people going to the theater. I don't think there's any reason to see this in the theater. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think visually, visually
0: speaking, if you want to support cinema, it's different, but I think it would have hit me the same watching it at home.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's funny, now you've got me thinking about it. I would never have guessed that if I had to pick indie filmmaker from the 90s, whose work I find resonates a lot, but is mostly about dudes. I, did, I don't know that I would have called it that my main guy would be Noah Baumbach, but it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. I Wild.
1: mean, you know, that's like, because there are a couple of his movies that I hate. Yeah. But like. <laughs>
0: what do you hate the most?
1: <laughs> I mean, I I can't. I saw Greenberg on a date with oh, somebody. Yeah. Who, and I was like, why does this movie exist? Ugh. Um, and it's probably because I felt a little bit too much like. The Greenberg character was also the person I was on the date with in 10 years. I was going to say if
0: (laughs) if any two people have dated Greenberg characters, it's you and me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But then he, for all of the frustrations and the creepiness and the the sort of like questionable behavior of him breaking up with Jennifer Jason Lee and getting with Greta Gerwig, like, man has made some great movies about some very tough, weird women, in addition to making some very dupe dude-heavy films. Yeah. Gotta gotta give it to Noah.
0: I'll tell you what makes me nervous about the holdovers. Giamatti's performance feels exactly like the performance that the Academy loves to give the Oscar for because it's like he has every emotion in this film. Mm -hmm. He's Paul Giamatti. Everybody loves him. He's been like chronically... Under awarded by the academy. This could be like a legacy award for him. And it just feels like one of those like safe performances that I don't know. He might sneak in there and take it from Cillian.
1: Hmm. I mean, my favorite performance of his is actually in the movie Shoot 'em Up with Clive <laughs> Owen. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> a truly ridiculous film where he is on like. 13 the whole time yeah but it's also hilarious so uh, you know i'm just I mean, like give listen, me.
0: as i said in my review on letterboxd which you should follow meredith and i on letterboxd any film uh, with paul giamatti and the first words out of his mouth are philistines you're like okay this is going to be hilarious or at least mm-hmm. compelling enough to watch
1: yeah and
0: yeah i uh I don't want to say too much because there are certain plot details that I think do constitute spoilers. But I kept rolling my eyes a lot, especially there's some music cues too that I was like, "Okay, guys, I don't know about all this."
1: Um, yeah, but I feel like I'm yeah. I'm a little. Speaking of music cues, one of the things I'm most nervous about uh, for the movie Saltburn is I have heard <laughs> that there are a few needle drops in that movie. Yeah. That are from songs that came out after the film is set. And I have every confidence that it will drive me absolutely bonkers.
0: When we both see that film, we should have a long discussion about Emerald and Promising Young Woman and how we feel about her career and her as a director.
1: I think that's a fantastic idea because I, from what I've heard from people I trust and you've sent me a couple of opinions as well. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a mess. And yes. you know, I, and so a I lot feel of like people, it's gonna be quite instructive.
0: I feel like you and I were way warmer on promising young women than a lot of people too. So for yes. a lot of people this is like a second bomb for her. Um I don't know. I, I might love saltburn, but I do want to have like an in-depth conversation about it. When absolutely we can it. I'm excited. Oh. Did you have anything else you wanted to recommend?
1: I would love to take a moment to uh, to recommend a classic film that I had actually not managed to see until Friday um, because if you want to laugh at stuff, it's a great one. Um, Preston Sturgis' The Lady Eve from 1941 starring Henry Fonda and Barbara Stanwyck. Ooh. It is so fucking funny. Like – it's. She plays a con woman who uh, runs has a little sort of team with her dad and a British sounding guy named Gerald, and they decide <laughs> they're going to uh, use cards. You know, they're card sharks. Uh, so they were going to scam Henry Fonda, who's a an heir to a beer fortune, um, while they're on a ocean liner from South America to New York City. There are, you know, double crosses, triple crosses. And then the slapstick comedy starts happening. And (laughs) let me tell you, there's one scene where Henry Fonda is expressing his love to a character Barbara Stamick is playing. That's as much as I'll say. Mm -hmm. But they've been horse riding. And as he's trying to propose, the horse just starts like... Trying to chew his hair. I was hoping
0: the horse would interject in some way. I, oh. I wrote this down. I'm going to watch it. I've never it, seen it.
1: It's it's like 92 minutes. It's like a classic perfect. screwball comedy, perfect length, so ridiculous, clearly written in ways that they were like, well, fuck you, censors. Um they used to get away the, with so
0: much more with the sense Yeah, film. It's wild if you watch old films, guys. Like if you. Oh, if you, and
1: this movie is a classic example because Barbara Stanwyck is doming the fuck out of Henry Fonda. It, it is so, so funny. Like <laughs> it's so, 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 so funny. Um, And I just cannot get, I just can't, I'm never going to stop thinking about this damn horse because I'm just imagining like this movie came out the year after the Grapes of Wrath. So audiences wow. would have gone to see this film knowing, knowing Henry Fonda most immediately as Tom Joad, Steinbeck hero of legend. Mm-hmm. and there's a horse fucking eating his hair
0: <laughs> love it love it it's oh that's something i didn't mention actually that you just reminded me of in anatomy of a fall um there is a dog performance that is a plus 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 in fact the dog won is it at can where they award best dog in a film
1: i don't even know i forgot God, i can't believe i'm not familiar with which there European is an film award. Festival. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> there's an award that they give for best. I think it's best performance by an animal in a film. But yeah. the dog won this year for Anatomy of a Fall, and he is excellent. I, I believe it's a he, but if I apologize if I'm misgendering, but a plus performance. So thank you. I got to shout out the dog in Anatomy of a Fall. Um, (laughs) Guys, on that note, we're out of time. Please follow Meredith and I on all the socials. Um, Well, not all the socials. On Blue Sky, we're both on Blue Sky. I am still on Twitter. I'm never going to call it X. Uh, We're both on Instagram. Follow Light Treason Pod on all the socials. If you're a fan of the show, go to lighttreason.news and smash that donate button or go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. For as little as $5 a month, you get to send questions, comments, concerns, all of that good stuff. I know some people sent in some stuff. I'm going to get to it eventually. Sorry, I didn't get to it on this episode. We had a lot of recommendations. But on that note, everybody. Oh. It is early voting in New York City. Um, However, election day is on Tuesday. So everybody vote. And have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, oh, no, no. Guys, because the strike's still happening. Here's Ron.
1: The motherfucker who said we're going to keep this thing going until people start losing their houses and their apartments. Listen to me, motherfucker. Motherfucker. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. Some of it is financial. Some of it is karma. And some of it is just figuring out who the fuck said that. And we know who said that. And where he fucking lives. There's a lot of ways to lose your house. You wish that on people. You wish that families starve while you're making 27 fucking million dollars a year for creating nothing. Be careful, motherfucker. Be really careful, because that's the kind of shit that stirs shit up. Peace out.